This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three Short Works by Gustave Flaubert A Simple Soul Chapter 4 The Bird He was called Lulu. His body was green, his head blue, the tips of his wings were pink, and his breast was golden. But he had the tiresome tricks of biting his perch, pulling his feathers out, scattering refuse, and spilling the water of his bath. Madame Aubin grew tired of him, and gave him to Félicité for good. She undertook his education, and soon he was able to repeat, "'Pretty boy, your servant, sir, I salute you, Marie.' His perch was placed near the door, and several persons were astonished that he didn't answer to the name of Jacot, for every parrot is called Jacot. They called him a goose and a log, and these taunts were like so many dagger-thrusts to Félicité. Strange stubbornness of the bird, which would not talk when people watched him. Nevertheless, he sought society, for on Sunday, when the ladies Rochefeuille, Monsieur de Houbeville, and the new habitués, Onfroy, the chemist, Monsieur Varin, and Captain Mathieu dropped in for their game of cards, he struck the window-panes with his wings, and made such a racket that it was impossible to talk. Bourret's face must have appeared very funny to Lulu. As soon as he saw him, he would begin to roar. His voice re-echoed in the yard, and the neighbours would come to the windows and begin to laugh, too. And in order that the parrot might not see him, Monsieur Bourret edged along the wall, pushed his hat over his eyes to hide his profile, and entered by the garden door. And the looks he gave the bird lacked affection. Lulu having thrust his head into the butcher-boy's basket, received a slap, and from that time he always tried to nip his enemy. Fabu threatened to wring his neck, although he was not cruelly inclined, notwithstanding his big whiskers and tattooings. On the contrary, he rather liked the bird, and, out of deviltry, tried to teach him oaths. Felicite, whom his manner alarmed, put Lulu in the kitchen, took off his chain, and let him walk all over the house. When he went downstairs, he rested his beak on the steps, lifted his right foot, and then his left one. But his mistress feared that such feats would give him vertigo. He became ill, and was unable to eat. There was a small growth under his tongue, like those chickens are sometimes afflicted with. Felicite pulled it off with her nails, and cured him. One day Paul was imprudent enough to blow the smoke of his cigar in his face. Another time Madame Lormeau was teasing him with the tip of her umbrella, and he swallowed the tip. Finally he got lost. She had put him on the grass to cool him, and went away only for a second. When she returned she found no parrot. She hunted among the bushes, on the bank of the river, and on the roofs, without paying any attention to Madame Aubin, who screamed at her, "'Take care! You must be insane!' 
Then she searched every garden in Pont-l'Evêque, and stopped the passers-by to inquire of them, "'Haven't you perhaps seen my parrot?' To those who'd never seen the parrot, she described him minutely. Suddenly she thought she saw something green fluttering behind the mills at the foot of the hill, but when she was at the top of the hill she couldn't see it. A hod-carrier told her that he had just seen the bird in saint Malen in Mother Simon's store. She rushed to the place. The people did not know what she was talking about. At last she came home, exhausted, with her slippers worn to shreds and despair in her heart. She sat down on the bench near Madame, and was telling of her search, when presently a light weight dropped on her shoulder. Lulu! What the deuce had he been doing? Perhaps he'd just taken a little walk around the town. She did not easily forget her scare. In fact, she never got over it. In consequence of a cold, she caught a sore throat, and some time afterwards she had an earache. Three years later she was stone deaf, and spoke in a very loud voice even in church. Although her sins might have been proclaimed throughout the diocese without any shame to herself, or ill effects to the community, the curé thought it advisable to receive her confession in the vestry room. Imaginary buzzings also added to her bewilderment. Her mistress often said to her, "'My goodness, how stupid you are!' And she would answer, "'Yes, madame,' and look for something." The narrow circle of her ideas grew more restricted than it already was. The bellowing of the oxen, the chime of the bells no longer reached her intelligence. All things moved silently, like ghosts. Only one noise penetrated her ears, the parrot's voice. As if to divert her mind, he reproduced for her the tick-tack of the spit in the kitchen, the shrill cry of the fish-vendors, the sore of the carpenter who had a shop opposite, and when the door-bell rang, he would imitate Madame Aubin. Felicité, go to the front door! They held conversations together, Lulu repeating the three phrases of his repertory over and over, Felicité replying by words that had no greater meaning, but in which she poured out her feelings. In her isolation, the parrot was almost a son, a lover, he climbed upon her fingers, pecked at her lips, clung to her shawl, and when she rocked her head to and fro like a nurse, the big wings of her cap and the wings of the bird flapped in unison. When clouds gathered on the horizon and the thunder rumbled, Lulu would scream, perhaps because he remembered the storms in his native forests. The dripping of the rain would excite him to frenzy. He flapped around struck the ceiling with his wings, upset everything, and would finally fly into the garden to play. Then he would come back into the room, light on one of the andirons, and hop around in order to get dry. One morning, during the terrible winter of 1837, when she had put him in front of the fireplace on account of the cold, she found him dead in his cage, hanging to the wire bars with his head down. He had probably died of congestion, but she believed that he had been poisoned, and although she had no proofs whatsoever, her suspicion rested on Fabu. She wept so sorely that her mistress said, "'Why don't you have him stuffed?' 
She asked the advice of the chemist, who'd always been kind to the bird. He wrote to Havre for her. A certain man named Felache consented to do the work, but as the diligence driver often lost parcels entrusted to him, Félicité resolved to take her pet to Honfleur herself. Leafless apple trees lined the edges of the road. The ditches were covered with ice. The dogs on the neighbouring farms barked, and Félicité, with her hands beneath her cape, her little black sabots and her basket, trotted along nimbly in the middle of the sidewalk. She crossed the forest, passed by the Orchen, and reached Saint-Gatienne. Behind her, in a cloud of dust and impelled by the steep incline, a mail-coach drawn by galloping horses advanced like a whirlwind. When he saw a woman in the middle of the road who did not get out of the way, the driver stood up in his seat and shouted to her, and so did the postillion, while the four horses, which he could not hold back, accelerated their pace. The two leaders were almost upon her. With a jerk of the reins he threw them to one side, but, furious at the incident, he lifted his big whip and lashed her from her head to her feet with such violence that she fell to the ground unconscious. Her first thought when she recovered her senses was to open the basket. Lulu was unharmed. She felt a sting on her right cheek. When she took her hand away, it was red, for the blood was flowing. She sat down on a pile of stones and sopped her cheek with her handkerchief. Then she ate a crust of bread she'd put in her basket and consoled herself by looking at the bird. Arriving at the top of Ecumonville, she saw the lights of Honfleur shining in the distance like so many stars. Further on, the ocean spread out in a confused mass. Then a weakness came over her, the misery of her childhood, the disappointment of her first love, the departure of her nephew, the death of Virginia. All these things came back to her at once, and, rising like a swelling tide in her throat, almost choked her. Then she wished to speak to the captain of the vessel, and without stating what she was sending, she gave him some instructions. Felache kept the parrot a long time, he always promised that it would be ready for the following week. After six months he announced the shipment of a case, and that was the end of it. Really, it seemed as if Lulu would never come back to his home. They have stolen him, thought Félicité. Finally he arrived, sitting bolt upright on a branch, which could be screwed into a mahogany pedestal, with his foot in the air, his head on one side, and in his beak a nut which the naturalist, from love of the sumptuous, had gilded. She put him in her room. This place, to which only a chosen few were admitted, looked like a chapel and a second-hand shop, so filled was it with devotional and heterogeneous things. The door could not be opened easily on account of the presence of a large wardrobe. Opposite the window that looked out into the garden, a bull's-eye opened on the yard. A table was placed by the cot and held a wash-basin, two combs, and a piece of blue soap in a broken saucer. On the walls were rosaries, medals, 
a number of holy virgins, and a holy water basin made out of a coconut. On the bureau, which was covered with a napkin like an altar, stood the box of shells that Victor had given her, also a watering can and a balloon, writing books, the engraved geography, and a pair of shoes. On the nail which held the mirror hung Virginia's little plush hat. Felicité carried this sort of respect so far that she even kept one of Monsieur's old coats. All the things which Madame Aubin discarded, Felicité begged for her own room. Thus she had artificial flowers on the edge of the bureau, and a picture of the Comte d'Artois in the recess of the window. By means of a board, Lulu was set on a portion of the chimney which advanced into the room. Every morning when she awoke, she saw him in the dim light of dawn, and recalled bygone days and the smallest details of insignificant actions without any sense of bitterness or grief. As she was unable to communicate with people, she lived in a sort of somnambulistic torpor. The processions of Corpus Christi Day seemed to wake her up. She visited the neighbours to beg for candlesticks and mats so as to adorn the temporary altars in the street. In church she always gazed at the Holy Ghost and noticed that there was something about it that resembled a parrot. The likeness appeared even more striking on a coloured picture by Espinal, representing the baptism of our Saviour. With his scarlet wings and emerald body, it was really the image of Lulu. Having bought the picture, she hung it near the one of the Comte d'Artois, so that she could take them in at one glance. They associated in her mind the parrot becoming sanctified through the neighbourhood of the Holy Ghost, and the latter becoming more lifelike in her eyes and more comprehensible. In all probability, the father had never chosen as messenger a dove, as the latter has no voice, but rather one of Lulu's ancestors, and Felicité said her prayers in front of the coloured picture, though from time to time she turned slightly toward the bird. She desired very much to enter in the ranks of the daughters of the Virgin, but Madame Aubin dissuaded her from it. A most important event occurred, Paul's marriage. After being first a notary's clerk, and then in business, and then in the customs, and a tax collector, and having even applied for a position in the administration of woods and forests, he had at last, when he was thirty-six years old, by a divine inspiration, found his vocation, registrature, and he displayed such a high ability that an inspector had offered him his daughter and his influence. Paul, who had become quite settled, brought his bride to visit his mother. But she looked down upon the customs of Pont-l'Evêque, put on airs, and hurt Félicité's feelings. Madame Aubin felt relieved when she left. The following week they learned of Monsieur Bourret's death in an inn. There were rumours of suicide, which were confirmed. Doubts concerning his integrity arose. Madame Aubin looked over her accounts and soon discovered his numerous embezzlements, sales of wood which had been concealed from her, false receipts, etc. 
Furthermore, he had an illegitimate child, and entertained a friendship for a person of Dozule. These base actions affected her very much. In March 1853, she developed a pain in her chest. Her tongue looked as if it were coated with smoke, and the leeches they applied did not relieve her oppression. And on the ninth evening she died, being just seventy-two years old. People thought that she was younger, because her hair, which she wore in bands framing her pale face, was brown. Few friends regretted her loss, for her manner was so haughty that she did not attract them. Felicité mourned for her, as servants seldom mourn for their masters. The fact that Madame should die before herself perplexed her mind, and seemed contrary to the order of things, and absolutely monstrous and inadmissible. Ten days later, the time to journey from Besançon, the heirs arrived. Her daughter-in-law ransacked the drawers, kept some of the furniture, and sold the rest. Then they went back to their own home. Madame's armchair, foot-warmer, work-table, the eight chairs, everything was gone. The places occupied by the pictures formed yellow squares on the walls. They had taken the two little beds, and the wardrobe had been emptied of Virginia's belongings. Felicité went upstairs, overcome with grief. The following day a sign was posted on the door. The chemist screamed in her ear that the house was for sale. For a moment she tottered and had to sit down. What hurt her most was to give up her room, so nice for poor Lulu. She looked at him in despair and implored the Holy Ghost, and it was this way that she contracted the idolatrous habit of saying her prayers kneeling in front of the bird. Sometimes the sun fell through the window on his glass eye and lighted a great spark in it, which sent Felicité into ecstasy. Her mistress had left her an income of 380 francs. The garden supplied her with vegetables. As for clothes, she had enough to last her till the end of her days, and she economized on the light by going to bed at dusk. She rarely went out, in order to avoid passing in front of the second-hand dealer's shop where there was some of the old furniture. Since her fainting spell, she dragged her leg, and as her strength was failing rapidly, old Mother Simon, who had lost her money in the grocery business, came every morning to chop the wood and pump the water. Her eyesight grew dim. She did not open the shutters after that. Many years passed, but the house did not sell or rent. Fearing that she would be put out, Felicité did not ask for repairs, the laths of the roof were rotting away, and during one whole winter her bolster was wet. After Easter she spat blood. Then Mother Simon went for a doctor. Felicité wished to know what her complaint was, but, being too deaf to hear, she caught only one word, pneumonia. She was familiar with it, and gently answered, Ah, like Madame! thinking it quite natural that she should follow her mistress. The time for the altars in the street drew near. 
The first one was always erected at the foot of the hill, the second in front of the post office, and the third in the middle of the street. This position occasioned some rivalry among the women, and they finally decided upon Madame Aubin's yard. Felicité's fever grew worse. She was sorry that she could not do anything for the altar. If she could at least have contributed something toward it, then she thought of the parrot. Her neighbours objected that it would not be proper, but the curé gave his consent, and she was so grateful for it that she begged him to accept after her death her only treasure, Lulu. From Tuesday until Saturday, the day before the event, she coughed more frequently. In the evening her face was contracted, her lips stuck to her gums, and she began to vomit. And in the following day she felt so low that she called for a priest. Three neighbours surrounded her when the dominie administered the extreme unction. Afterwards she said that she wished to speak to Fabu. He arrived in his Sunday clothes, very ill at ease among the funereal surroundings. Forgive me, she said, making an effort to extend her arm. I believed it was you who killed him. What did such accusations mean? Suspect a man like him of murder? And Fabu became excited and was about to make trouble. Don't you see that she's not in her right mind? From time to time Felicité spoke to shadows. The women left her, and Mother Simon sat down to breakfast. A little later she took Lulu, and holding him up to Felicité, "'Say good-bye to him now,' she commanded. Although he was not a corpse, he was eaten up by worms. One of his wings was broken, and the wadding was coming out of his body. But Felicité was blind now, and she took him and laid him against her cheek. Then Mother Simon removed him in order to set him on the altar. Chapter 5 The Vision The grass exhaled an odour of summer. Flies buzzed in the air. The sun shone on the river and warmed the slated roof. Old Mother Simon had returned to Felicité and was peacefully falling asleep. The ringing of bells woke her. The people were coming out of church. Felicité's delirium subsided. By thinking of the procession, she was able to see it as if she had taken part in it. All the school children, the singers and the firemen, walked on the sidewalks, while in the middle of the street came first the custodian of the church with his halberd, then the beadle with a large cross, the teacher in charge of the boys, and a sister escorting the little girls. Three of the smallest ones, with curly heads, threw rose-leaves into the air. The deacon, with outstretched arms, conducted the music, and two incense-bearers turned with each step they took toward the holy sacrament, which was carried by Monsieur le Curé, attired in his handsome chasuble, and walking under a canopy of red velvet, supported by four men. A crowd of people followed, jammed between the walls of the houses, hung with white sheets. At last the procession arrived at the foot of the hill.
a cold sweat broke out on Felicité's forehead. Mother Simon wiped it away with a cloth, saying inwardly that some day she would have to go through the same thing herself. The murmur of the crowd grew louder, and was very distinct for a moment, and then died away. A volley of musketry shook the window panes. It was the postilions saluting the sacrament. Felicite rolled her eyes and said as loudly as she could, Is he all right? Meaning the parrot. Her death agony began. A rattle that grew more and more rapid shook her body. Froth appeared at the corners of her mouth, and her whole frame trembled. In a little while could be heard the music of the bass horns, the clear voices of the children, and the men's deeper notes. At intervals all was still, and their shoes sounded like a herd of cattle passing over the grass. The clergy appeared in the yard. Mother Simon climbed on a chair to reach the bull's-eye, and in this manner could see the altar. It was covered with a lace cloth and draped with green wreaths. In the middle stood a little frame containing relics. At the corners were two little orange trees, and all along the edge were silver candlesticks, porcelain vases containing sunflowers, lilies, peonies, and tufts of hydrangeas. This mound of bright colours descended diagonally from the first floor to the carpet that covered the sidewalk. Rare objects arrested one's eye. A golden sugar-bowl was crowned with violets. Earrings set with Alençon stones were displayed on green moss, and two Chinese screens with their bright landscapes were nearby. Lulu, hidden beneath roses, showed nothing but his blue head, which looked like a piece of lapis lazuli. The singers, the canopy-bearers, and the children lined up against the sides of the yard. Slowly the priest ascended the steps and placed his shining sun on the lace cloth. Everybody knelt. There was deep silence, and the censers, slipping on their chains, were swung high in the air. A blue vapour rose in Felicité's room. She opened her nostrils and inhaled it with a mystic sensuousness. Then she closed her lids. Her lips smiled. The beats of her heart grew fainter and fainter, and vaguer, like a fountain giving out, like an echo dying away. And when she exhaled her last breath, she thought she saw in the half-opened heavens a gigantic parrot hovering above her head. End of A Simple Soul